Well, good morning or whatever time you're watching this. My name is Marco and I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be with you on Paradox Wednesday. If you're new, whether you're a part of our church or, or not, and you've never heard of Paradox Wednesday, that's okay. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it in just a minute. For now, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up or load it to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. In addition to that, just have Psalm 15 ready to go because we're going to look at that very briefly in our time today. Uh, other than that, while you load and open your Bible, let me just dive into our time our beloved valley loves invitations. When we get one and whether we decide to go to the event or not, we simply love receiving invitations. It can be a wedding, it could be a quinceanera, it could be parties, it could be a graduation. For the most part, we'll do whatever it takes to make sure that we show up. We start thinking about our schedule. We start thinking about what we can move. We start thinking about who we need to talk to and most importantly, what we need to wear. Invitations aren't simply part of attending. They're not simply participation. Uh, they're not just about free food or even decorative table pieces for you to take home, even though you probably shouldn't. Invitations are a gift to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. It's this beautiful combination of relationships and honor where we are now a part of someone else's story, where we have now been folded into the story someone else with a seat at the table. Even better, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an invitation from God to sinners to come and know him. The gospel is the greatest invitation that we could ever receive, not only because it's an invitation to be folded into the story of redemption, but because it's an invitation that we should, we should have never received to begin with. However, the nature of God is that he is rich in mercy and wants us to come and know him through Jesus. And that's what we're going to be briefly looking at today through 2 Corinthians 5. But before that, here's what I want you to know. The invitation of the gospel is both a reminder and a revelation of God's mercy. Let me say that one more time. The invitation of the gospel is both a reminder and a revelation of God's mercy. Today, as I mentioned, is Paradox Wednesday, and I want to make a couple of things clear before we dig into our text. Primarily, the first thing I want to mention is that Paradox Wednesday is not a part of the church liturgical calendar like the way Lent is or Holy Week. We totally and absolutely made this day up, and the reason we made this day up is really a twofold reason. First, we noticed that when we would enter Holy Week in years past, it seemed pretty abrupt when we would get to Palm Sunday and explain everything that's about to happen and why we're taking a break from our current sermon series. And so that was just something that we noticed as far as it being abrupt. The second reason was we wanted to create a time, a service, where we can prepare our hearts and mind for the coming of Holy Week. And so we came up with this thing called Paradox Wednesday, and it serves as a service or a video for now, serves as a service or a video where we reflect on the condition of our heart as we prepare our heart and mind for Holy Week. To that end, when it comes to the invitation of the gospel as believers, what I want us to see from 2 Corinthians is that as believers, we tend to need to be reminded of the gospel. 
that is the work of God for us through Jesus. We so easily forget the work of the gospel in us that we quickly default to who we used to be. And so today I want us to remember the gospel so that we would continue walking righteously. And if you're not a Christian and you're tuning in, thank you so much for being here on Paradox Wednesday. And more than a reminder, my hope is that the gospel would be God's revelation to you. My hope would be that you would receive this message of salvation through God for you. And so to that end, let me pray and then we'll dig into our time. Lord, we begin our time by praising you and thanking you for a day that is filled with grace and mercy. We praise you because of uh, your work for us. We praise you because of Jesus's work for us. And we praise you because of the spirit at work in us. Um, Lord, I pray that as we look to 2 Corinthians, that your word would be sweeter than the taste of honey to us. I pray that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus. Uh, and I pray that our hearts would be revealed so that we would remember your grace uh, and walk in a way that is worthy of your calling. And so we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with one thing called revelation. And so uh, before diving into that, let me read, actually, let me back up a little bit. Let me read 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And so this is what God, God says through the Apostle Paul. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to begin with the revelation of this text. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians church and I want to focus on a number of things when it comes to this one verse. The first thing is that phrase, for our sake. This phrase speaks to our condition apart from God. See, apart from God or outside of God's salvific grace, we were or are hopeless. We're helpless. We are sinners in rebellion to God, rejecting God. The phrase, our sake, speaks to our identity apart from God. It speaks to our standing before God outside of Christ, that we are alienated, that we are estranged, that we are at war with God, that we are orphaned and lost. For a moment, I want you to consider Psalm 15. And at the beginning of Psalm 15, I believe it's only about five verses, at the beginning of Psalm 15, the psalmist asked the question, who can dwell with the Lord? Who can be in his presence? And so he goes on to unpack what it looks like to dwell in the presence of God in verses two through five. I'm not going to read all of it, but here's his answer. The one who can dwell with the Lord is the one who walks blamelessly, does what is right, speaks truth in his heart, doesn't slander with his tongue, commits no evil to his neighbor, who honors those who fear the Lord, who does not put out his money at interest, who does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. And so when we read through this list of characteristics, and even when we read through this list of of uh, of morality, we quickly realize, oh man, that, that's not me, right? Like when we, when we walk through what the psalmist answers the question with, we re really quickly realize we constantly fall short. We are so inadequate. Well, this is who we are outside of Christ, right? That we are hopeless, helpless, sinners in rebellion, rejecting God. Our identity is that of our sin nature, that we are sinners by nature and choice. 
And that's a really heavy thing to consider when you look at them. And for our sake, our sake has to deal with our identity outside of Jesus. But Paul continues. He says, for our sake, he made him. The word he is actually speaking of God the Father, the first member of the Trinity. And what Paul is telling us is that God the Father, in knowing our condition outside of him, in knowing our condition, and in spite of our condition, God moved and initiated salvation before the foundation of the world by sending his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in place of sinners and to walk a sinless Life. When you consider the gospel according to John, Jesus regularly tells everybody, the disciples and those who are following him, he goes on to say, I'm doing the will of he who sent me. I am here to do the work that my father has sent me to do. And so when we come back to 2 Corinthians 5 and Paul says, for our sake, he made him, that is God the Father sending Jesus to die in place of sinners. This is God's initiative of salvation before the foundation of the world. And Paul doesn't want us to miss these two important marks at the start of this verse. For our sake, not for God's sake, but for our sake, our identity, our condition, our condemnation, God is the sole agent who took the initiative to save sinners through Jesus. And what I love is that he doesn't stop there. He continues. He adds, to be sin who knew no sin. What exactly does that mean? Let's go from the second half to the first. Knew no sin. That is, that the Bible testifies that Jesus was and is God in the flesh. And during his time on earth, he never sinned. He never gave into temptation. Oftentimes, when we talk about being tempted, you and I don't really know what it's like to be tempted because we regularly give in to our temptation. Jesus never did. The author of Hebrews says that we have a great high priest, that is Jesus, who can sympathize with us, yet is without sin. Peter goes on to say that when Jesus was headed to the cross and people were speaking vile things against him, he did not speak them in return. The Bible testifies, particularly through Isaiah, that the Messiah would be a sinless savior. Next, we look at to be sin, that little phrase, to be sin. This does not mean that Jesus became a sinner on the cross. This does not mean that Jesus was punished on the cross for something he did. The phrase to be sin means that Jesus bore the weight of sin. He bore the weight of sin of our sin. In this verse, when Paul writes about sin, he's not just talking about it as a simple act of transgression, but a reality possessed by our nature. It's not just things that we have done that we shouldn't have done, but when he writes about sin, he's writing about our entire personhood, that at one point we were enslaved, we were condemned, we were in rebellion to God. See, on the cross, the Lord Jesus bore the entire weight of our sin. But here's the bigger picture. We've only looked at half of the verse. 
at the cross, there was a divine transaction, a divine transfer. Because if all Jesus did was receive condemnation for our sin, if all Jesus did on the cross was forgive our sin, then we still stand naked before a holy God, realizing that we're not perfect and we're going to jack it up again. There has to be more, and praise be to God, that there is, Paul continues, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word we certainly pertains to the Corinthian church, but it also is pertaining to all those who have placed their trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Paul writes the righteousness of God, here's what he's saying. Jesus exchanged our sin for his righteousness. This is also known as the great exchange. This means that we are not only pardoned of our sin, but declared righteous before God. That means that we are acquitted. Our status has changed. We are no longer slaves, but we're forgiven. We're redeemed. We have a new nature. We've been adopted. We have been reconciled to the Father through the Son. We are now sons and daughters of God because of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that we cannot remake ourselves no matter how much we listen to cultural trends. New year, new me sounds really cool if you want to join a gym, but at the end of the day, it is only God who can remake us in Jesus. It is only God who can make us a new creation. The righteousness of God means that our very being has become new. It has been made new. And this is what God does for us. Not something at the hands of man-made religion, not because of our ethics or our good works, not because we took the proper steps forward or we met God halfway, not because of any of that, but simply because his nature is one of grace and mercy for sinners. In Christ, sinners are made right before God. And that's the revelation of 2 Corinthians 5.21. And that leads us to the invitation. And the invitation is one that God extends in Jesus to sinners. That he has made a way for sinners to know God. The, the invitation that we do not have to remain in our condition, our current condition. That our hearts can be made new. That we can become spiritually alive in Jesus. And the truth about this invitation is that Jesus didn't have to do any of it, yet he has and offers us the free gift of salvation through his work on the cross for sinners like you and me. To put it a lot more specifically, on the cross, simultaneously, God's wrath and justice was executed. The wages of sin, according to the Bible, is death. This means that we stand or stood condemned before God, nothing of our merit, with no spiritual good in us. And because God is holy, he must account for sin. And rather than it being poured out on us as we deserve, it was executed onto Christ in our place. And at the same time, the mercy and grace of God are exchanged to us for our sin. On the cross, mercy and wrath meet. 
It could only be Jesus to bear this task. Jesus, who was fully God, needed to be divine because only he could satisfy the wrath of God. Jesus, who was fully man, needed to be human because he is the only one who can sympathize with us and is without sin. He is the perfect substitute. So earlier when we looked at Psalm 15, and it really just forces us to consider our our moral condition, the condition of our hearts, the psalm is written so that we would admit or confess our moral failure. It's not a challenge when you read Psalm 15. It's not a challenge for you to be better or for you to be perfect, because the question is, who can be perfect? No one. And yet that's the expectation to enter into heaven, to be in the presence of God. Perfection is the expectation, yet the only one who is perfect is Jesus. Yet in 2 Corinthians, we read that God not only invites us to consider our inadequacy, but to abandon our inadequacy through faith in Christ so that we walk into the presence of God with the righteousness of another. God invites us to abandon our inadequacy and to receive his righteousness. And yet it's at this point where I hope you're all shouting amen, because that is true. That is the work of God for us through Christ because of his grace and mercy. And yet I think there's still one thing left to consider, and that is our obligation. You see, to receive this invitation means that we now have an obligation. See, when it comes to a quinceañera, we just show up and we enjoy it. But when it comes to the gospel, we are not only made righteous, but we also live righteously. We do not have an encounter with a holy God where he uh, pours out his grace to us, where we uh, are forgiven of our sin, and then we walk away unchanged or unmoved. No, now the Spirit of God dwells in us, which means that we can walk or live in a way worthy of God because of what he has done for us. And here's the reality. There are many Christians who love the invitation of the gospel but abandon its obligations. And then at the same time, there are those who forget about the invitation of the gospel and live solely by obligation, where they measure their worth by their obligation. And they're usually discouraged by their failure or they're walking arrogantly and prideful. Please know that if that's you, God wants you to know that you receive abundant grace because of his work for you. In addition to that, part of that grace is to live according to his righteousness because we can or to remember that the gospel is what informs who we are and why we do what we do. If you haven't heard it today, hear it now. You are already accepted by God because of Jesus. And so here's what Paul writes to the Romans. This is Romans 8. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, not to who we used to be, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There is an obligation to not only be righteous, but to walk righteously, where we put sin to death as we grow in our love and understanding of Jesus, where our life has completely been changed. Our obligation to walk righteously is something we get to do because of Jesus. In the end, quinceañeras are cool. 
But the gospel of God is life-changing. It's an invitation to be made new through the righteousness of another. As we walk into Holy Week, let us begin Palm Sunday, which is happening in a couple of days. Let us begin Palm Sunday with the gospel of Jesus at the forefront of our minds. You know, throughout the gospels, Jesus regularly told the disciples that he would be arrested and ultimately delivered to the authorities to be killed. And they instead kept worrying about who would be the greatest among them. Their minds were elsewhere. Often we're just like the disciples with our minds being elsewhere. Today, let us remember the gospel so that we would continue to walk in it. Let us humble ourselves so that we would make much of Jesus' work for us. So Christian, how are you living right now? Are you embracing the invitation of the gospel but forgetting the obligation to live righteously? Or what is it that you're forgetting Are you forgetting the invitation of the gospel, but embracing the obligation? How's that going for you? I want you to know that because of Jesus, we have access to God. So confess your sin. Turn away from your sin. Remember that you are accepted by God through Jesus' work for you. You have and are new. You are forgiven. You belong to him. And if you're not a Christian... Your identity, your sake, as what Paul was talking about, your identity is one that stands outside of saving grace. You stand condemned before God. However, what this verse tells us is that he has made a way for you to come and know him through Jesus by confessing your sin and placing your trust in him, receiving a new heart, a new status, a new identity. Today, confess and repent of your sin. Church, the invitation of the gospel is both a reminder and a revelation of God's mercy for us. We hope you enjoyed this Paradox Wednesday sermon. In the event that you haven't uh, picked up one of our devotionals on Reformed Liturgy, there is a devotional on here for Paradox Wednesday, so be sure to check it out. And if you didn't get to get one, they're going to be available to you on our website, storehousemckillen.com. Storehouse, I love you, and I look forward to seeing you on Sunday.